any of you who know my past, or at least heard of my past, uh, would probably know that back in the day, basketball was my game, Brother Melvin. <clears throat> that was the sport that I played, and I loved it and was passionate about it. One of the great things about basketball that coincided with my personality, Brother Melvin, was, was the trash talking, let's just be honest. <clears throat> You know, there came a point in my trajectory of my basketball career that my talent level was not matching the talent level around me. But what you do in that case, if you're a loudmouth, is you escalate your talking game. And uh, you may not be able to play, but at least you can talk. So that was uh, probably, Amy would be the only one, I don't know if she ever saw me play basketball, but uh, Amy... It was actually, let's just be honest, it was one of the reasons she didn't really care for me back in the day. Let's just be honest. But anyhow, <clears throat> but uh, I think of one of the, the classic lines of talking trash, and this would be, I want to put this into context. This is when you have the ball, and you're, you're being faced by a defender. This is one-on-one. -on -one. And the line that you deliver at that point is, just call me bus driver because I'm about to take you to school. <laughs> All right? Now, I didn't invent that line, <clears throat> but I'm sure I've used it. Just call me bus driver because I'm about to take you to school. Um, and actually, growing up, when I was younger and maybe just starting to play basketball, I dreamed... Uh, of one day being a Harlem Globetrotter, and I know I've shared that with y'all. Uh, there came a point somewhere in life that it became aware to me that I was not going to be a Harlem Globetrotter. And actually, as I progressed in school, um, and Randy, we were talking about this the other day at the veterans program. Randy was asking me, and then the veterans program stopped, started, so we had to stop our discussion. But um, really was gifted in maths and sciences, and so um, when I was about 16 or so, uh, started looking at what I was going to do with my life, and had, was already accepted as an early admin to Texas A&M, and I was going to be an engineer, because my daddy was an engineer, and um, so that was kind of my second thought of vocation, from Harlem Globetrotter to engineer. It's probably wise, wasn't it? Except that God, that was not what God's plan was for my life. And a very vivid, real experience in the summer of 1979 at 17 years of age. Quite honestly, in the early morning hours, while it was still dark outside, that God spoke to my heart very clearly. And he told me what his plan was for my life and ministry. And uh, that night, I, against what I thought was reasonable and my mind. I surrendered to that call in my life 40 years ago this summer. Probably because of my math and science background, Greek uh, connected with me and gave me a certain confidence in ministry that I didn't have. And so I was a Greek major and uh, was very good at that. And, and quite honestly, Amy and I married in the summer of this is not an autobiographical, I'm, this is way too long of an opening illustration. We marry in 84, I go to seminary, and I remember part of my struggle my first year in seminary was this sense of what I would give my life for, 
and uh, there was a path that I could have gone on, and um, there was some thought that I would teach Greek. There's four Greek professors in the nation. Probably that's not a good choice. Well, if that's what God had called me to do. And I remember this struggle. It's like, God, what, how is it that you want to use my life? And there was a lot of things about ministry that I didn't feel like I was fit for, and maybe the academic setting was better for me. And I remember I would have been 22 years of age, very clearly in my mind, an encounter with God as I prayed through that, that this is what God said to me very clearly. He said, give your life for the church. Because if the church doesn't work, then my kingdom is not built. There's only probably a handful of times in my life I remember God speaking to me that clearly. That's what he said. Give your life for the church as opposed to an academic setting. Give your life for the church because if my church is not built, the kingdom is not expanded. Um, there's a couple things I want you to put in your mind. <laughs> One of them, quite honestly, is bus driver. Okay, I need you to file that in your brain this morning. We'll come back to it. Bus driver. But the other thing is the statement that God made to me. Give your life for the church. Uh, 2019, we are working our way through the Bible at 30,000 feet. Looking at the big picture. What is the one story? And how, what are the, the, the characters, the plots, the big ideas that are a part of that? And we've been working through uh, this year just the big ideas in the story of redemption because the story of the Bible is the story of God redeeming the world back to himself. The world is perfect for two chapters of the Bible at the start. It will be perfect two chapters at the end. Everything else is God working his plan of redemption. And as we go through uh, the storyline, we come to the big idea today. From the time frame of the Apostle Paul's ministry and life, that the church is at the center of God's redemptive plan. That's the big idea today. In the plot of the story, after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, from that day, the day of Pentecost, until our day, until Jesus comes again, the church is at the center of God's redemptive mission. That's what God spoke to me, really. Is that he is investing in the church to carry out his redemptive purposes in the world. The second thought that coincides with that 
is that if the church is the center of God's redemptive mission, then we also have to say that leadership within the church is critical to that mission. Um, we're going to talk about several layers of leadership today, or at least allude to that. But you understand that the church is at the center of God's redemptive mission in the world, and that for the, the church to carry out its redemptive mission as God would want, leadership within the church is critical to that process. It does not just happen. And as we're working through the storyline, um, we come to the Apostle Paul. But I want you to get this idea of the bus driver. Seriously, seriously. There was a reason I told that story, not just to talk trash to you. I've got some other lines if you, if you need them. I think it was Danielle Box that I really had to coach on talking trash. You know, she's a good player, but needed to elevate her trash talking game. And the preacher was more than happy to work with her on that. Um, bus driver. I want you to get this imagery that we were on a journey together. We were on a school bus. And um, the bus driver is critical to what happens on the bus. Uh, it's a school bus. The uh, bus driver is responsible for the environment of that, the temperature that is set, the morale of those on the bus, the discipline of those on the bus. The bus driver is also responsible for the direction of the bus. Let's just put it this way. The bus driver is responsible for keeping the bus on the road and out of the bar ditches. Amen? There's some people on the bus that may lend themselves to getting the bus down in the bar ditch. The bus driver needs to stay focused and keep the bus on the road. The other thing is the bus driver is responsible for the ultimate destination. Are we going to get to where we are supposed to go? Now, Jesus established the church and its mission. We've talked about that. But it was Paul who set the theology and the organization of the church. And when we look at Paul's letters, in fact, if you will take your, your reference sheet, woo, it's going to help us with time this morning if you look at your reference sheet. Um, Paul's 13 letters. Get this. You want to know the emphasis of the church in Paul's ministry. And Paul is the most influential person after Jesus in, in marking what the church believed and how, they pra and how the church practices. 13 letters. Get this, they are either written to churches or to church leaders. You get that? You think, you think for Paul and in Jesus' redemptive mission that the, the church is important? Paul only writes letters to churches or to church leaders. And you see that in, in that, and I, I want you to kind of see that this morning we're in First and Second Timothy and Titus, primarily, um, and you can put that in the the timeline up above. Uh, when I went back and looked at Paul's thirteen letters this week, uh, there are 
so many times that Paul talks about the relationships within the church. And I just, I thought, I've got, I've got to type these out. I've got to run through this. And so I just began to say, what is it that Paul taught about our relationships with one another within the church? And you can see the references there, but he talked to us about humility. These are things that need to exhibit themselves in the midst of the bus so the bus can get where it's going. You get it? Humility. And I've just given you some of the references. He talks a lot about unity or interdependence, being the body in different members. He talks a lot about love. He talks about care and generosity. He talks about forgiveness and being redemptive in our relationships with one another. <clears throat> and he talks about peace among ourselves. And I know some of those thoughts overlap, but I, I, wa I wanted you to see those on your sheet because I want you to know that even though we're going to talk primarily about leadership within the church today, that there are, there's a lot that Paul in his 13 letters said, this is the way you are to behave among yourselves. Now, he also uses a number of titles for leaders within the church. I was a little disappointed. I did all my Greek study. Bus driver did not make the list. So, yeah, don't, don't report to your friends this week. Our preacher preached from the scripture about leaders in the church being bus drivers. It's not exactly right. But there's a lot of titles. When you go through Paul's uh, letters, he talks. And so I listed him there, and I kind of grouped him. He talks about himself and others being apostles. And then he uses, these are leaders in the church, ministers, deacons, servants, and then preachers, teachers, evangelists, prophets, bishops, elders, pastors. That's a lot. It's almost like I get this sense of when Paul used different word pictures for salvation, as we've talked about. He also uses several word pictures, whether from Greek culture or Jewish culture, about these layers, levels, different roles of responsibility of leadership within the church. The apostles, I believe, were the original witnesses of Jesus' resurrection that were authorized representatives of his. I do not believe in that sense we have apostles today. But I, I grouped another one under ministers, deacons, and servants because all of these words refer to someone who is a servant or a slave, someone who serves a master. And so ministers, deacons, servants are all words that describe leadership that serves the needs of the church. Uh, and this is where I come in, preachers, teachers, evangelists, prophets. This is the voice. You know, I, I didn't think I had any skills coming into ministry, but apparently the trash talking was actually one of the things that, uh, you know, somebody's got to speak. And all of these talk about, in that, that third level, preachers proclaim the truth of God. Teachers teach the word of God. Evangelists proclaim uh, the gospel. That's where that word comes from. Prophets prophesy. They all proclaim the word of God. And there's different words, but it all talks about this role of leadership and being a voice. And then bishops, elders, and pastors are all words that talk about other leaders who give uh, oversight and direction to the church body. Bishops, bishop is literally a word that means an overseer. 
almost like a manager of a crew of workers, someone, a supervisor. Elders are obviously uh, older men within the body of believers, and it's taken from Judaism. Uh, and pastors, the word pastor is simply the word for shepherd, and so you could use that word too. Here's the interesting thing. These words are used in many occasions interchangeably. And he, Paul would talk about it. We'll see that in some of what we read here in just a minute. Um, but it's Paul who writes so much in his 13 letters about the characteristics of our life as a church and the titles of its leaders. And um, this, this morning, I, I want to just read... Uh, the key passages in First and Second Timothy. This is a lot of reading, but I, I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> not planning on commenting on this. And I want to draw five key points from that. But would you follow me? And you can either look at this on the screen, or you can follow. But I, I want you to listen to this. To say, what was it that Paul was teaching about church leadership? First uh, Timothy, chapter three. Uh, 1 through 13. Listen closely. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer, he desires a good work. And then he gives qualifications. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, nor covetous, one who rules his own household well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons, another layer of leadership within the church, just the word for servant, must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses, own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Skip with me chapter 4, verse 11. He continues to admonish Timothy and he says, These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. 
Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And then finally, in 1 Timothy, the last two verses. Timothy 6, 20. Notice this, this exhortation. He says, O Timothy... And it's an exclamation point. This is his, his final charge. Guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. He writes 2 Timothy. Um, notice in chapter 1, starting in verse 6 continues to teach Timothy about church leadership. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He continues this in chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Key verse. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must first be, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Verse 24 of chapter 2, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And then finally, the admonition, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 through 5. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy, itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, 
endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let me just glean quickly five key points from those key passages. Church leaders are first to be models, and this is on your sheet if you want to look at that. One of the messages that Paul gives to church leaders is you must be an example of the, of the Christian life that God would want us to live. And he uses a lot of different words. But you could take the words that are listed on your sheet about characteristics of healthy church relationships, and he would say, no, leaders, you need to set the pace, be the model, the example to live out the Christian life. What does it look like? The reality is, is people need to see it in somebody that is part of the role of leaders. And Paul reminds Timothy on several occasions of that. All of these things, humility, unity, love, care, forgiveness, peace, and so many other things are to be demonstrated visibly in the life of leaders. The second thing is leaders are called to be servants. The leaders in the church are not served by the church. The leaders of the church serve the church. That's why deacons, that word comes from the word just for servant. But Paul would also describes, describe pastors as being servants. Church leaders serve the needs of the church. There is no other way around it. Uh, there must be leadership Within the church, the reality is leaders pay a price. Uh, it costs. It's not always fun. Paul alludes to that on several occasions. Um, the only way the church will fulfill the mission that God has called it to is if there is leadership within the body of Christ that's making sure everybody stays together and we get to where God has called us to be. I'm 35 years in. It takes work. I know y'all are such beautiful people and you're sitting there all sanctified, holified, beautified this morning. God bless your little hearts. <clears throat> I was about to make a joke about hurting cats, but that's not appropriate. No, it's, it's really not. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the term is, but it, it's, it's, any, it's any group of people. I don't care whether you sanctify them or what. It takes work to keep us all together. And so church leadership, whatever level, layer that is, are called to serve the needs of the church. Leaders of the church are also teachers. He says this to, to Timothy time and time again. Whether, whether they are preachers, teachers, evangelists, prophets, however you say, however they deliver, whatever the different dynamic of that is in that title, they are to be the voice of truth. They are to focus their lives on the Word of God. They are to be grounded personally in the Word of God because the tendency is for people to get off in what they teach or what they believe and Paul had passed it down to Timothy, who was then to, to set those parameters to say, no, here is the gospel. Here is the truth. And one of the things that he emphasizes to Timothy, and I don't know all of Timothy's personal nature, 
but he challenges him in boldness. Do it boldly, Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The fourth thing that leaders are to be are to be correctors. Because people not only get off the road in what they believe, but also in the way that they live. So there is this repeated admonition to church leadership in these letters, what Paul writes, to correct the false teachers and those that get off in the wrong practice to bring them back onto the road. There's no other way around it. The final key point of church leadership is there to be reproducers. These, these five are on your, on your sheet if you'll see that bottom point at the bottom of the page if you want to refer back to those. Paul says to Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. And the things that have been entrusted to you, you pass these down to faithful men who will teach others the same thing. This is the way uh, the gospel, the Christian life is reproduced from generation to generation. Um, the context of all of this is that if you look in, in your chronology, Paul is in prison. He has every reason to believe that he will die. And after 2 Timothy, he is beheaded. And Paul knows that he must pass down the ministry to the next generation. The next generation must be raised up so that they can take their place of leadership. And so when Paul talks about Timothy, he talks about him being a son, a younger man. The same is true when he talks to Titus in one of the other pastoral letters. Um, we as a church are on a journey. Uh, You've chosen to get on the school bus if you're a part of our church. <laughs> uh, the scary thing is, here's the thing, there's only one steering wheel on a bus. And ultimately, uh, the primary position of leadership for our bus falls to me as your pastor. Um, now, obviously, there's other layers and levels of leadership within our church. Uh, we as a church are in a place where we are saying in these days, where is it that God would have us to go? We have a, we have a graphic. Nathan, can we throw that on the screen? <clears throat> um, I talked to Steve Gross about this. Uh, I don't know if you'd want to drive a bus down this road, but anyhow, uh, but there is something in the future and we as a church <clears throat> are in the process in these months to say, God, where is it that you want to take us? Uh, and, and here's the thing. It's not enough for the bus just to drive around. No, there needs to be intentionality. And so when we talk about Vision 2020, we're talking about <clears throat> determining what is our destination and what is the route we are going to take to get to our God-given destination. 
And even though you could say in general terms the mission of every church is the same, God has us as a church uniquely placed in Huntington, Texas in this time for a particular calling. And part of what we are doing in these days, and we will do this afternoon after we dismiss from here, is to say, God, what is our particular calling? Who are we? What do you have for us? Because just like there's a calling on my life, there's a calling on your life. There, there, are, there is a particular or unique calling in church's life to say, what is it you're about in the redemptive purposes of God? And different churches have different personalities. They have a different perspective on those things. And we have to determine, what is our, where are we? Who have you made us to be? And God, what is it that you would say to us? What is our destination? I want to bring it back down to individuals. Because the church ultimately comes down <clears throat> to just being people within the body of Christ. I want you to know that you have a place on the bus. You are a part of our church, quite honestly, if you're here, unless you're visiting with us. And your place on the bus is significant. There's a purpose to that. Um... And your presence, your participation, your involvement is critical for us to get where God would want to take us. Your walk with the Lord is critical. Your commitment to this church, if this is your church family, is critical. And your participation, your active participation in the redemptive mission of God is critical. Yeah, and there's different leaders on the bus. But everybody has a critical role within the bus. And what I've challenged you a month ago and I challenge you with this morning, for us to get where we need to be, each of us has to look at ourselves individually and say, what is my part in that? What part do I play on this journey, on this bus, if this is my church family? If this isn't your church family, find a church family. Just two blocks from here. I'm, I'm, yeah, you, you can drive anywhere. Huntington, Texas, there's lots of churches. I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm just saying, if it's not this church, find a church. And pray for us in these days that God would show us what it is that he would have for us and where he wants us to go <clears throat> and what your part is in that process. The church is at the very center of God's redemptive mission in this world. Don't ever forget that. And that the leadership of the church exists to help the church fulfill that ministry. Amen? Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, let me lead us in prayer. <clears throat> As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Brother Shane's going to come and lead us. <clears throat> um, we invite you to, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I invite you to come forward this morning <clears throat> for you to make your commitment to Christ. Maybe it's a time to come to the altar to say, God, I need to give myself 
to what you've called me to do within this body of Christ. Uh, maybe, as people have done the last several weeks, to come and to say, Brother Darrell, this is, this is my church family. I'm committing my life here. Maybe, maybe your step today is the step uh, to follow Christ for the first time or to take that second step, uh, as Kaysen did this morning in baptism. Whatever your commitment is, uh, we're going to invite you to come. Father, we pray that you would take...